Oh, oh, TC. Hey, oh, that's, that's cool. cool. You got a podcast? Well, I didn't, I didn't know, know that. that. Oh, that's cool. Now you do. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back. OTC's very own podcast. Oh, that's cool. Introducing you to all the wonderful people we work here, we're, work with here at OTC. Uh, I, of course, as always, am Jared Durden. Uh, my name is Andrew Crocker. Nine episodes in, and your intros are just getting smoother and smoother and smoother. That's good to hear. <laughs> I, how, how are you feeling, first of all, before we just jump right into this? Uh, good. I, I was r- unusually tired yesterday, but, uh, I, I, I spring back. So, uh, feeling good today. Um, really enjoying, uh, uh, being here at OTC, really. Well, can it's, I run it's with been that? A good week. Yeah. Can we, can we rain a little community college positivity? Let's do that on this podcast because, uh, I got uh, just yesterday, I received a call from my department chair. Shout out. To Greg French of Social Sciences, doing a really great job. And uh, OTC... Who we need to bring on? He's a big baseball fan, right? He's a huge baseball because fan. Because I remember he, tell, he was telling me about an honors course that he had done. Yeah. We need a good baseball question. We should bring on... There, there really isn't a sport you can catch him off on. He knows everything MSU. He knows hockey. I don't know why, but he chooses to like hockey. Come uh, on. Basically. <laughs> I grew up in Minnesota. I'm yeah. defensive of hockey. Uh, so he gave me a call and he said... Um, uh, that OTC was going to start offering courses to the minimal minimum security corrections facility in Fordland, Missouri. And he wanted to know if PLS 101 should be offered and if I would like to to handle that. So I will be handling it at this coming spring. But that's exactly the mission statement of OTC, is Absolutely. it not? And Transforming student lives in our community. And I actually thought it was connected to the uh, Jordan Schreibner's. Am I saying her name right? There's a lot of going on in that name. There's the Sh and the Rei and the Birner. But Sh- Jordan Schreibner. I thought it was Schreiber. No, Schreibner. It's got Schreiber. an E in it. Okay. Shout out to Jordan Schreibner as well. But I asked her if that was this was part of the Game Changer grant. She got approved for Game Changer grant right. the same time you did. Right, which and, and uh, I'm speaking with her recently is is going really well. Yes, and so I, is this a part of it? And she was like, "No, that was just first, which is another great service we have offered." She said that was a part for offering services for some of our people who have served time and are now students. So they need some extra, they need some extra resources from time to time, and we used that grant to supplement, you know, their budgets and to help them sure. out. Anyways, this is a part of a law that changed. And the law that changed was that a lot of these people in certain corrections facilities can get like a second chance Pell. And they, they get a, they get another chance at a Pell grant. And I believe this was not Missouri law. It was Department of Education policy, uh, U.S. Department of Education policy. And they get a second chance Pell to, you know, get a, get a call, get an education from, I believe, 60 some schools in America. And the idea is kind of use it as a pilot, maybe expand it to more schools in the future. But we are one of those 60-some schools, and now I have the honor, as well as several other instructors, I imagine. If you're one of those instructors, please leave a comment or alert us because I'd love to collaborate with you. But anyways, I'm one of the instructors, and I get to do a little PLS 101 with them, which is great. I figure American government, probably a good subject for a lot of these guys to learn, sure. and you can anticipate 100% attendance because you know it's it's part of their service, part of their whatever exactly you want to call uh, the time that they're spending. And so I have just felt a just a little bit of a patriotic pride here, not just in the country being willing to do that. America, power, that's a great thing that we are doing for the people currently serving. But on top of that, 
power to OTC for managing to become one of those 60 some schools Mm -hmm. and be able to use that to better our community. And I just can't, uh, I I just can't wait. I can't wait to sink my teeth into that and work with them. You sound excited. Yeah. It's fantastic. Really, really exciting. I can't, I can't remember. There was a time I taught some of our tech ed students had a PLS 101 course, just tech ed. And anytime I get like a specialized audience like that, I love it because they see things from an issue that you and I don't. Because you and I come with the general education bias. And when you ask me for topics, what should we talk about? Like every topic I can think about is general education, general education. We get bringing in the tech ed perspective. And eventually, we should bring in some allied health perspective. And, you know, some of the uh, the, the perspective from the Fordland facility. I just can't wait to yeah. crack them open a little bit and, and see what makes them tick. It's just that... I feel like we don't do enough for people in those populations. I think we do a better job in this society of reaching out to felons, people that have served their time. Not a good enough job, but a better job. But the people that are still serving their time, I'm so glad that we get that to, to have this opportunity. I can't wait to do it. Absolutely. I'd, I'd be interested in, in being part of that program as well. Yeah, somebody reach out to Mr. Durden, okay? And, you know, any number of our instructors would probably jump at the jump at the gun for that. But uh, I was I was an honor to be to be asked and I, I hope I am worthy of their time. I'm sure. And that's a great way to start the podcast out, too. Um, uh, I, I didn't know that. Uh, and, and going forward, uh, I am, I'm excited as well. That's, uh, and I think we, we've done a good job. And, and something I've always been proud of OTC for is kind of taking the initiative and, and taking chances, right? Trying new things, experimenting a little bit, um, and putting the faith in the instructors to do the job that they always consistently do. Yes, absolutely. And that's a... a a criticism I have of academia in general is that it is a volcano of fantastic information and usually offered by enthusiastic people. I just, I wish it was more readily available to the public. Like those, um, ac- like EBSCO hosts those academic engines, the academic articles. I wish they were more readily available to the public. But that's one of the reasons why community college is just like the place for me because I love the marriage of the increased access. Mm-hmm. with the rigorous academic study because I, I just I, how does that not benefit all of us in society well don't forget uh, especially if you're on OTC campus and to let your students know that our library here does a fantastic job of making academic journals uh, accessible uh, to everyone on campus and has programs to help better understand how to use those uh, resources as well. So, so that's another place we need to get into and start inviting people to come on. Yeah. Sarah and all the great people down there. Yeah. One of my favorite people on campus, Sarah Fancher, uh, was hired at the same time as her full time. She, they have the, uh, my, my favorite thing about the library website is the chat box. Mm-hmm. You can enter into a chat box and say, help me. And somebody like within a minute, doesn't matter what time of their business hours, uh, within a minute, somebody responds every time. So today, uh, we have brought on um, another fantastic guest, um, and uh, I'll go ahead and, and, and bring him into the conversation with us today, uh, is Jonathan Herbert, who teaches theater here at OTC. Yes, hello. How are you doing today, sir? I'm fantastic. How are you? Uh, great. We were putting this together back in the spring, uh-huh. this particular format, and I had to had to. I was asked to submit like a laundry list of guests and topics. You were on it. 
Oh, good. I don't know if he took that advice or if he just reached – or did you reach out to us? I forget exactly how this when I, when I heard about this in a meeting that we were in in Zoom, I, I, I sent a, a chat over to Jared and I was like, I want to be on your show. Oh, please, guys. <laughs> and then, please, and then, guys. And then when we were just passing in the hall at one point and said hi and, and you reminded me and so we booked you right there. Yeah. Yeah. Which again is a great way if you're interested in the show and you say hi to me. I like I like uh, just running into people and talking about. I it. was just telling Christine Harris, my office mate, that uh, I was like, you need to you need to go on that show. Yeah. <laughs> you need to reach out to them. Christina Harris. Christine Harris. Uh-huh. Christine Harris. Yeah. is One of my favorite people. Yeah. Uh, I, I I think I, I'm afraid I say that too much, but I really have enjoyed <laughs> working with her, and uh, she has worked. She has done some work with politically active in the past. We worked together. We'll talk a little bit about your time. On faculty senate, but when I was on faculty senate, she was on the cabinet. When I was faculty senate president, uh, I, I she's another one of those people who tons of energy for her subject, for what she does, and uh, wants to make it as accessible and as as understandable as possible for the. I, it's just I'm a big big fan of hers. Yeah, yeah, me too. So tell us um, uh, about yourself. We'd like to get to know you a little bit better, not only about yourself, but of course your role here at the college. But uh, tell us a little bit just about you. Uh, oh boy, <clears throat> there's so much to tell. <laughs> um, well, uh, as, as you, uh, as I think most people know, I teach theater and drama here. That is, uh, um, interesting. Here's something that a lot of people don't know about me. Uh, and I'm so nervous today because I'm scared I'm going to say something and have it taken the wrong way. <laughs> uh, cause some of my, uh, this is a little controversial, but, um, I, I teach theater and drama. And, um, like a lot of people who teach theater and drama, I really love theater and drama, but I don't think I love theater and drama the way a lot of people do. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, I, it's, it, for me, it's not so much about, uh, I'm not, a lot of theater people are, are, are really big fans, you know, of, of things. And I've, I've always just really loved what theater does more than kind of what, uh, um, you know, uh, <laughs> more than just sort of the, 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 um, more than sort of popular theater, you know, and um, is this like a process versus content argument? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really that way in the classroom as well. Um, everything is very, very process, um, and, uh, uh, and 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 that's really great. But um, so I, I uh, I've been doing. I started doing theater just because I I. <laughs> I was, I went to school on a scholarship because I had done some theater in high school and it was fun. Uh, but I was going to study psychology until I took an acting class and, and I had taken a, a kind of an intro to theater class. And I thought, you know, these are the classes that like I really want to get out of bed for. And many of the other classes that I was taking, I had to kind of rouse myself a bit. And I thought, you know, um, I don't know what I want to do because I think I knew then that I didn't necessarily want to go into an industry of entertainment, but I just wanted to keep doing what was happening in the classroom. And of course that led to being a teacher. But so, uh, sometimes the way I say it, that's a little more controversial is, um, I don't really actually love theater. I love what theater does. And, uh, (laughs) and, um, and I love what happens, uh, when we're exploring the art in the classroom and on stage. Another thing about me, um, just some other things. I've got two amazing boys. A lot of people know that Henry is a senior, uh, and Vincent is in seventh grade. Um, they're, they are just, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't have asked for better boys. My, my lovely wife, Gail is such a wonderful partner in raising them. Uh, and, um, and then, uh, a lot of people know that I kick a foot bag because of the picnics. I like to do that, but here's just a little fun fact. I've been kicking a hacky sack since I was 12 and I'm 48 now. 
And uh, I started keeping consecutive records when I uh, was about 18 or 19. And I wasn't really good then because I had only myself to kick with. But when I transferred to Mizzou in my junior year, there was a lot of, there were guys from Golden, Colorado and Portland, Oregon and the Bay City area. And, um, these guys were so good. They had competed in competitions and whatnot. And I learned a lot from them. Hacky set competition. I have. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a World Footbag Association. It's a worldwide sport. Okay. Legitimate sport. Yeah. I have not run into a hacky sack enthusiast in a long time. Do you so play? I, no, I'm in high school, right? So I, rem- I remember that time when it was just everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And everywhere you'd go in the early 90s, th- there were groups of kids getting together, right? Uh, and I really haven't seen it since then. So I, I'm just, it's kind of exciting to know that it's still carried on and, and that there's kind of a national pastime. I've always loved it. I saw a video of it when I was 12 and I thought I'd be really cool if I could learn how to do it. And so I got a hacky sack and used the little instruction manual to learn how to do it. And uh, my, my record right now of consecutive kicks without dropping it is 1,168. Wow. No, 1,368. Sorry. I, I, the previous record was 1,119. And uh, How long did that take? Uh, maybe like 20 minutes. I was listening to... That Be- took 20 minutes? Uh, I was listening to the Beastie Boys, uh, <laughs> their instrumental album. The one with Sure Shot. I can't think uh-huh. of the name of the album. And it was about the first five or six songs, I'd say, you know, whatever that is. So, um, uh, and that sounds like a lot, but another fun fact, the world record is over 63,000. Took him eight hours and 51 minutes. Or aren't your, I don't know how old you were when this happened, but were your thighs on fire <laughs> by the time you were done? This was in the year 2005. Mm-hmm. And no, 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 it was after that. Uh, this was 2013, I think it was. And, uh, I was, I was kicking a lot then. And, you know, just my summers, I would, you know, I carry, I carry one with me everywhere I go. I've got two of them actually with me. No, I don't. Oh, wow. I didn't bring them. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I, and, uh, sometimes I'll just, you know, for a couple hours at a time, you know, and when I'm really kind of in that zone, you know, it's just my body's ready for it. How, but to, how has this not come out at the picnic? Oh, I, I do it at the picnic. I didn't this year, but I, I do most of the time. We have a we have a gigantic circle where people are dancing. Oh, I know, like I you know. You could get in the middle of that and hacky sack through a few songs. I kick sometimes, you know, and uh, in other places I've been, you know, whenever I'm kicking in a public place, it's not long before a couple people come up. Can I hack it? And next thing you know, we have a circle. But it ha- it doesn't happen in Missouri so much. Okay, I've got two follow ups here. <laughs> Number one. So, so are, many questions. Are, 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 do you have a lot of like tricks and stuff where you like catch it in places and roll it down and all that kind of stuff? I or? don't do a lot of tricks. The, the, that staple trick is that sort of behind the back, you know, gesture stall, uh-huh. you know, people just kind of throw those back and forth across. Um, I've never been able to do that. I can stall a little bit. Um, I do, I stall on my head a lot. Um, just, uh, but mostly, what I do is just I put on some music and just jam with it. It's just like, to me, it's like dance. And I've Very never rhythmic. been, I've never been comfortable dancing in front of people. That's just a complex that comes from my brother from many years ago, who sh- kind of shamed me and made me feel ashamed of myself. I know, I know. With so 48, I'm permission. still, I'm still kind of, but I feel like I'm dancing in public and it feels good. Um, so, uh, I, in fact, the, the two times that I've competed, I competed in freestyle. And the only reason I didn't really advance was because I wasn't really doing a lot of tricks, but they, they did the first time they sent me to semifinals because I was doing something different than what everybody else was doing. Semifinals would be of Missouri. Is there a region? Like where are you semifinals or what? You have like, um, uh, 
you have just sort of individual, what do you call them? Um, a local circuit? Like a, there's not really a local circuit so much, but, um, like I went to, the last one I went to was in Kansas and it was this guy, um, who actually was, um, was dying of cancer. He had, he had been running this tournament for years and it was interesting to be there because it was like, it was almost like his home going in a way. All these people who had been over the years came back and it was really, it felt really special to be there, but it was just a, a kind of a local thing. Um, and these get recorded and everything like that. Um, what is it called when you have just a, I, there's a name for it. I can't think of what it is, but there are some, um, there are some regional competitions there. Uh, there's definitely an international competition that happens every year and there's just different games that you play like a five minute timed consecutive. Um, there's, there's footbag net, you know, where you play kind of over a net, like on a badminton court, footbag oh, golf, yeah. um, all these kinds of things. And so, um, uh, yeah, yeah, that is, um, I've done some net footbag at a competition and I did, um, a five minute time consecutive at this last one. I think I got like 374 kicks or something like that in five minutes. And, wow. um, but the, the record is for men is like 1019, you know. But, uh, so have you ever considered doing kind of like an intramural league here or starting a <laughs> student group? You or? know, actually, uh, I made a Facebook group called, um, Springfield footbag club or something like yeah. that, or queen city footbag club, maybe. And, uh, I did it a few years ago with the intention of forcing myself to do it every day. Like if I say, I'm going to be at this park, then I'm, if I'm the only one there, then that's it. At least I'm going to get out and get some exercise. And I've just been really, really lazy. And so it's just kind of hanging out there. People view it sometimes, but, uh, one of these days, I think I'm just going to really activate it and just start it up. You know, uh, I'm going to be at a different park every Saturday from, you know, nine to noon or something like that. And, uh, you know, come on out. And so. I, uh, I, I promote it though. My son goes to the, the warrior gym, uh, my youngest son and, and does a parkour class. And I took my foot bag one day and I was just kicking out in the parking lot. Some kids came out and, like, oh, and I was like, mm. you know, and I, I got this kid, uh, he, he, uh, he went and bought a couple for himself and, um, he's been kind of working on it. So I'm like, I'm, I just want to inspire people, you know? Now are, are your, uh, <laughs> what you call them bags? Are your bags like high class Big time investment bags. Are they very? Can we see? Can I see one? You know what? Um, hold on. I, I, I know this is an audio medium, but because right, the one I'm used to seeing is like it's got some literal beans in it, and it's in a knitted ball. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah, that's one kind. Elaborate? Yeah, I, you know, I don't have them with me. Right. I, I put them in a, I, I put them in my bag. I think, and I didn't bring my bag with mm. me. I usually have them. Uh, but um, the one, the, my favorite one that I've ever kicked with, uh, and I have two, two that are like two of my favorite kinds, and each one of them, I think. Brand Brand new or not on sale is about $15. They're not that much and they're really good. They last a long time. I've had these for years. Um, you can pay upwards of like $50, $60 for one. You can get some old, like, you know, vintage hacky sacks that are still the genuine leather pigskin, you know, and, and, um, and pay a little bit for the vintage thing. Um, but, but generally you can get a really good foot bag, um, at, uh, the World Footbag Association has a, an online catalog on their Footbag World website. And they've got just, you'd be surprised at how many footbags there are. And, um, and they're made of all kinds of material. Um, a lot of synthetic suede. That's my favorite kind. Sometimes they're sewn in multi panels, 32 panel, 64 panel, 128 panel, um, uh, hand stitched. Uh, and inside they might have little plastic pellets, but mine has like little metal BBs and little rubber pellets. So it's got a little bounce and a little weight. They're different sizes. The, the size that everyone's most familiar with is like 2.25. Um, uh, centimeter uh, diameter and, and 
Mine is like 1.75, so it's small and fast and bouncy, but it still has a lot of give, so I can stall it and stuff. It's just, it's, it's called a squirt, if anybody's interested. You know, you can go to Footbag World and look up a squirt. That's the best footbag I've ever kicked with. So, guys, there's a footbag circle in the plaza. <laughs> That's Coming right. to a plaza near you. There will we be a could have done the whole episode on this. <laughs> uh, we could, you know, maybe change the question, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I could probably talk more about footbag than I can about theater. No, <laughs> no not really. But uh, so, something else that we we like to ask to kind of to get to know you. Um, tell us a, about a, a hero of yours, someone you look up to, someone that inspired you, uh, <clears throat> or someone you just like the 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 listening the listeners to to know about. Um, a few people come to mind. Um, the first two people that came to my mind were Bobby McFerrin. Um, you know, don't worry, be happy. Yeah. <clears throat> and a lot of people don't realize that a lot of people only know that song. And he wrote that song kind of as a joke, you know, <laughs> um, he's a pretty serious musician. Um, and, uh, I would recommend anybody who's curious to follow that curiosity and just look up some of his other stuff. He conducts orchestras, he does solo acts, he, um, he plays with bands. And, um, I've seen him twice now. And he is one of my favorite performers because he's so playful with his audience. He, he sings with his audience. He conducts his audience to sing, um, a backup track that he'll kind of vocalize to. He also does, uh, the last time I saw him down in Fayetteville, um, some years back, he was with Chick Corea and a drummer whose name I can't remember. And they did an entire like hour and a half long, just improvisation of sound. And it was just one of the most incredible things, but I just have always, um, I, I I'd love to meet him. He, there's not a lot of celebrities that I'm like, I want to just sit down and have coffee with this person, but he just comes off as the most beautiful human being, you know, like he's a real good person, I think. Uh, and he's just an excellent musician. And the other person that comes to mind is Anna Devere Smith. And she is, uh, an actor and writer, for the stage who's kind of known for her documentary or very much known for her documentary dramas that she performs solo, uh, as feature as full length plays. So, um, uh, her first two that were really popular were fires in the mirror and twilight Los Angeles, which were about the crown Heights, Brooklyn riots and the LA riots. Um, she kind of got, uh, she'd been doing a lot of this work before, but she got sort of you know, really a lot of acclaim for these uh, plays on race rights where she went in afterwards and interviewed hundreds of people with a, with an audio tape and then transcribed their words verbatim. And she wrote them on the page in, in verse, she calls them organic poems. Uh, and she looks for a moment when, when people kind of struggle to articulate something that's really, really meaningful for them and their language kind of breaks down a little bit and they say something really accidentally beautiful. And then she titles those and she performs like 40 characters in a night and she performs every word they say verbatim and not just the words, but their actual accent and speech pattern. And, and if you ever watch her show, it's just amazing to see how she just becomes this person. Would, would you call it, would you call it an impression of that person or is there another word you'd use? Um, I, I, I kind of don't want to call it an impression because impressions are, you know, to me, an impression is like a, a sticky comic performance, right? It's a, it, it's a, um, it's, it's almost a, a, a recreation, a representation of maybe, of, maybe an emulation, an emulation. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, she says that if you can match a person's speech patterns, that's really where you'll find their identity. Um, and and uh, she's got a show on HBO. If you've got HBO, it's called uh, Notes from the Field. It's her latest show, and it's about the school-to-prison pipeline. You could probably find Twilight Los Angeles maybe on YouTube. It used to be on Great Performances on PBS. And there's uh, – in, in parts on YouTube, you can find Fires in the Mirror. But um, she is just – oh, and there's a great TED Talk that she does where she plays four characters and talks about her work. But she is uh, – she teaches at NYU in the Tisch um, Center. Um, she's also done a lot of television. If you've ever seen The West Wing, she played the um, – uh, she was on the West Wing. I've never really watched the West Wing. Yeah, she's the she's a light skinned African American who played the. Uh, I think she was like she was the Joint Chiefs of Staff on that show. Hold on, her name Anna Devere Smith. It's okay. spelled D E A V E R E. Okay. Something tells me Andrew's a West Wing fan. Oh, this is a huge. She was also on Nurse Jackie. Um, she was in uh, American President. Um, she she's really really political. She she was she went with Clinton on his uh, his presidential campaign. Um. And she's just uh, one of the smartest, most talented people ever. Inspires me a lot. In fact, I did my thesis, my master's thesis, applied thesis project based on her work. We did her play Twilight Los Angeles, and I played several characters in it and then observed the whole process of these. I saw, I, I using her theories, I saw this 19-year-old white girl named Ivy from a small town from somewhere around here completely transform into like a 45-year-old Hispanic man who is concerned about his, his boys getting pulled over by the police and he's angry and he's very, you know, he's got an aggressive personality and this, this girl just played him. I, I, I just would watch her and just, I was so amazed at how she transformed. Um, so I was really fascinated with the work and, um, not just, uh, for entertainment sake, but because it's such a, an important, um, communication, uh, piece and it's an important, um, it's an important piece for young actors to work with, to really, really get into the shoes of another person. Um, you really, really get into the shoes of the character with this kind of work. That's fascinating that she would, by the way, she played uh, Dr. Nancy McNally, who was the national security advisor. National security advisor. On, on That's what I Wing. wanted to say, mm -hmm. but I, I, I've not really watched that <laughs> show yet. I really should, but uh. she, um, that, that's fascinating that she focuses purely or at least mostly on that, area where people are speaking trying to express something passionate to them yeah and struggling to find the words which yeah. i think is something I, I think is a universal emotion yeah and she targets that so fascinating because as you've said that that's and we've kind of talked about this with jeff johnson and podcasting in general that's where you find out almost what a person's saying is secondary it's kind of yeah. who they are what's yeah. in them yeah. trying to come out is is it is more important than anything that actually gets directly communicated yeah yeah agreed agreed it's fascinating so full disclosure uh, before this next question uh i think we've talked about this before um people are sometimes surprised to know that i kind of had a same trajectory that you had mm -hmm. uh, uh i did a theater in high school and loved it and in fact, I think you know Carol Maples. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was my high school drama teacher. Oh, right on! And a good drama teacher. Uh, yeah, I, w <laughs> I was Harold Hill my senior year in the Music Man. All right. Uh, I, I was predominantly in music theater, but I also did um, what's referred to as um, non-musical or straight plays. And I uh, ended up going to when it was SMS for I made it about half a semester, uh, but I was actually a musical theater major, and then ended up 
Didn't work out and ended up uh, moving over into physics, of course, which is the, the natural oh, sure. transgression, <laughs> yeah. right? That's a lot of physics in musical theater. There is, there is. <laughs> so uh, my question, though, that uh, I kind of want to prep with that is you talked a little bit about not being a huge fan of theater, but is there uh, a, a musical or non-musical play that does really stand out to you that if someone hadn't doesn't have an appreciation for theater or was introducing theater to someone younger or someone new to it that you would say, this is what you need to see. This is a really good embodiment. Oh gosh, there's so many. I mean, it's not to, it's not to say that I, that I'm not a fan of a lot of shows. There's so many. Um, uh, I think that uh, I tend to get really excited about theater. That's not, that's, that's more that's not so mainstream, you know. I mean, I, I, not to be that person who's like, well, I like all of the obscure esoteric things. The um, off, <clears throat> off, off, off Broadway. I've always been attracted to, uh, theater that kind of breaks boundaries. So, um, when I think of musicals, for instance, I think of like a musical like Passing Strange, which isn't so terribly unknown, but it's, uh, um, I don't know if you know who Stu is from the Negro Problem, the, the band, the Negro Problem. Mm-hmm. Stu is a, um, a singer songwriter. Um, his wife Heidi plays bass in the band, and he wrote this, I, I believe, kind of autobiographical piece of, about this kid. Um, a black, uh, it's an all black cast, uh, a, a small ensemble, six or eight actors, maybe. Um, I saw a, a video streamed production that was directed by Spike Lee at the Public Theater uh, in New York, and um, it's about a black youth. <clears throat> who grows up a uh, single mother, but middle class. Um, and uh, he plays in a punk band um, and, and doesn't kind of fit sort of the mold of, you know, this is probably in the eighties or nineties, nineties. I think it is uh, when, when there were really, when, when there was uh, perceptions of blackness, even within the black community were somewhat monolithic, I think, you know? And so uh he he takes a trip to Europe. He goes to Amsterdam and kind of, you know, goes on this sort of fantastical ride <laughs> through hash and all this other thing. You know, I mean, just like all of these, he ends up in Berlin at one point and, um, and it's just kind of a coming of age story, but I, I, I fell in love with it because I identified with it so much having grown up black in, you know, predominantly white settings, uh, very similar to the way this character did. And I also just really liked how the, the form of the play, there was a small ensemble, there were multiple roles being played by actors, um, scene shifts with, with very minimal set and things like that. Uh, but just to dine and the band is right there on the stage with them. Um, and Stu, who acts as kind of a narrator is dressed similarly as the kid in the play linking those two. And, um, it's just a, um, it's just a fascinating play. Uh, it, it, it's, it's moving and it's, it's not so weird that, I mean, it, it, it's regular musical theater, but, uh, but some of the themes and some of what it has to say and how it says it is a little break from the traditional mold, I think. And so I really like that. Um, yeah. Uh, gosh, there's, uh, there's so many things. I, when I, when I talk about plays that I really like, I get into, I don't know, I, I, I like a lot of, um, uh, I, I like a lot of really stark contemporary realism, even hyper realism, naturalism. I like stuff that's, I like German <laughs> naturalism because it's so gritty and brutal. 
what <laughs> and disturbing. What, I don't know. I like to be disturbed by theater. So. What is naturalism in a theater setting? Um, uh, put simply, it's uh, it was it, it's, it's kind of a movement, a, a reaction against realism. I think that there were a lot of uh, um, theater people who who thought realism didn't go far enough. It was still too rational and it was still too bourgeois and middle class. And so nat- uh, naturalism was attempting to get a true kind of slice of life. Um, and with that comes, I think, a really healthy dose of cynicism about the way the world is. So these plays tend to be really, really dark, but they also expose a lot of, um, you know, things that, that a lot of realism hints at or glosses over or, you know, it's going to focus more on on the the problems of not just the common man, but you know, sort of the the really destitute. Sometimes <laughs> I know it sounds really like, oh boy, that sounds fun, you know. But uh, but I I really um, I, I'm really moved by that, and um, and uh, I I find it to be, as I said, kind of disturbing, and I like to be a little disturbed in the theater, um, just because I think it's um, it's. I, I just, I want to think, I want to be more than just entertained. I how, want to. How do you cross paths with it? Well, what do you mean? These naturalism, these naturalist type shows, mm-hmm. where are you catching them? Are you catching them in town? Are you catching them on streaming devices? Is there something else that I'm not aware of that you can access these things? Um, it, you'll, you know, you'll sometimes, I mean, you'll see this work sometimes at Springfield Contemporary Theater. Um, more so than Springfield Little Theater or, um, you know, at a college or university theater, certainly at a high school theater, you won't so much, but, uh, Springfield, Contem- it's, it, there's the, you know, the difference between Springfield Contemporary Theater and Springfield Little Theater is that Springfield Little Theater is more like a, a mainstream Broadway type, you know, theater yeah. and Springfield Contemporary Theater is more like a, an off Broadway type theater. So there's, uh, the plays tend to, um, tend to deal with more mature subject matter and, and, um, and tend to break out of, you know, mainstream modes a little bit and they, they, you know, experiment a little bit more. Um, so I've seen some things there, uh, that were kind of approaching this and, um, I, I saw, uh, but, but in larger cities, you'll probably see smaller theaters doing things like this. My wife and I were in LA years ago and, uh, there was a play that I read in, in, my undergraduate, I was doing some research on a style called hyperrealism, which was sort of a, a, a form of hyper naturalism kind of, you know, uh, and this is where I came across like playwrights like Christian Specht and Franz Saber uh, Kreutz, who, who are these German, you know, naturalists who write these really, really gritty plays. But I read this play by Edward Bond, who was an English playwright and it was called Saved. And, uh, he wrote this play in 65. And I won't get really all into it. He kind of deals with sort of wayward youth on the east side of London in, in the sixties. Um, and just, it's very, very naturalistic. And there's a scene where a bunch of youth stone a baby to death in its pram. Um, and it was so controversial that people got into fist fights in the audience and in the street. Um, that they shut it down and banned it. It was, it was, and, and I'd read about this. It was part of my research that I was doing. And I was like, gosh, and I read the play and I thought, man, I'd love to see that. And uh, my wife and I were driving around LA and I was looking through the LA times and I go, Oh my gosh, there's a theater here that's doing saved. And we just drove across town and went and saw it. And uh, I'm so glad I did. Cause uh, there's a story that I always tell my, my intro students that came from that experience, you know, and so, uh, uh, and the play was very good. It was everything I would have expected it to be. And, um, but it's, it, you don't cross paths with them a lot because mm-hmm. they're, it's, 
when you get outside of what is sort of known and popular and mainstream, then it becomes a matter, it, it becomes a, not necessarily a wise financial decision to produce the play. Who's going to come and see it? And the smaller your, your community is, the smaller your audience is, the less of a chance you want to take with that. It's it cost a lot of money to produce a play. And so, um, so even, uh, even though you sometimes have, you know, theaters in a town, maybe this size or smaller that would love to do something like that, they can't always take a, take a chance on it. I would think streaming would have helped that. And maybe it will eventually. Yeah, I hope so. Because creating a play that pushes buttons like that is going to have a lot of trouble, I think, in just about any community. But using the, you know, the, the national or even international power of streaming programs, mm -hmm. you think you'd be able to cobble together enough of a, an audience across a wide enough area. I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud here. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think if you're going to stream it, you're still hopefully producing it for an audience and then capturing that and streaming it. Cause you know, the two experiences are not, not interchangeable. Let, uh, let me ask you about that. Obviously you can see Hamilton on Disney plus, right? right. How vital is it to see it in person? Not that play in specific, but just in general. Oh, I'm glad how, you asked me that. How vital <laughs> is it to see it in person? Um, I think unless you see it in person, it isn't theater. And uh, it, it, it's not completely theater. You can still be entertained by it. I found Hamilton to be very entertaining. I watch streaming plays and, and musicals, and I'm very entertained. But um, there is uh, uh, there is an, for theater to be theater, the audience is absolutely necessary. The audience participates. And you can't participate as an audience if you're watching it on a screen. Um, you can participate if you're there. And by participation, I don't necessarily mean direct participation. Um, the audience usually doesn't participate directly, although sometimes they do. We did Schoolhouse Rock a couple of years ago, and and uh, we invited a bunch of kids up on stage. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. I have a bone to pick with you on that, by the way. <laughs> okay. So, you're lucky I didn't audition to be the bill. Oh. To, to be the bill that becomes long. Uh-huh. Because I, I assume we want our students to get an opportunity. <laughs> and if I audition, ain't nobody else getting that role. I'm you would have you killed right it. <laughs> you would have killed it. We but, should have done it a special night with uh, Andrew Cocker. Guessing. I could absolutely see that. <laughs> I, I got a bone to pick with you because somewhere on this campus, I'm assuming there is a bill costume. In a closet somewhere. Please tell me there is, because what actually needs to happen is just a special performance of you in that costume <laughs> on the show. That would be great. So and we'll like, do our lure. only like video podcast. I'm going to make this I happen. I think we didn't do the full on costume. Uh, am I right about that? I'm trying to. Uh, this is crazy that I don't remember for sure. I'll have to look at the pictures, but I don't think we did a big styrofoam bill. Right? We had was, talked about doing that, but I think we ended up not doing that. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to. It check is going to be sure. possible, though, for me and you <laughs> to make this happen. Oh, right. yeah. Okay. We've mm -hmm. talked about this before. That's right. I think we have talked yeah, about yeah. it. Think, when we were doing, I think on the front end, I hit you up. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. on the front end, I was like, if there is an outfit, I want it. But I never got a chance I think to that's follow the up only, with you. I think that's the only reason why we didn't do that because I think that there was not one. 
And now that we have the steps down there in in our beautiful new plaza, we are doing a live performance. Yes. Soon. Once again, broadcasting from the Brooks room overlooking that brand new plaza. I'm seeing, I see a stage right there. It's perfect. Uh, We got to do this. Really, the world is your stage. I think we can do it. I think we can get it done. Can we make that happen? Yeah, Yeah, sure. That's right. I got to have the kid though. So I find me a kid, not maybe not a human kid or like an actual kid, but like I got to have somebody that plays. The bill talks to the kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 We'll find a kid. I'm sure we can find one. (laughs) You've got a couple kids, don't you? (laughs) I do. I wouldn't trust her to recite lines, though. (laughs) So what I was saying, though, is that, um, you know, when you what I and this is just what I tell my students, you know, when you uh, when you go to the theater, even if it's a, you know, a fairly straight play where you're not going to be called up on stage to dance and sing with the cast or whatever, you are participating um, with your with your heart and with your mind, you know, your your um, well, first the mind and then, you know, you first in your brain, you suspend disbelief, right, so that you can um, bring your imagination to this. And so the act not only are the actors on stage and the designers and everybody involved bringing their imagination, that's not really enough. Because when you think about it, when you sit down to watch a show, and you're not sure what's going on yet, isn't your mind really, really active trying to make meaning of this? And, uh, and I demonstrate with this, with, with my students sometimes by like, you know, I'll put actors on stage and put lights on them and turn the lights on and have them just sit there looking at their phones or whatever. And we'll talk about what do you think this is? Imagine this is a play. Not a word has been spoken yet. What do you see? And they start, you know, coming up with all these things. And so we take it for granted, but our brains are constantly working along with the actors to make meaning. And then, um, if the acting is good, <laughs> if the show is good, then we kind of, you know, air quotes, believe that what we're seeing is actually true. At least we believe it emotionally um, enough to be able to empathize with the characters. And empathy is not just a mental thing. It's a, you know, um, we, we actually omit, omit, emit uh, um, uh, emotional energy. You know, you can, you can perceive whether you perceive it consciously or not, you can perceive emotional energy from others and that affects your emotional state. And then that feeds back to the original. And so this is what's happening in the theater. Um, and by not, that it's, it's kind of seen through body language through there's, there's kind of a, almost a tension that can be yeah. felt in the audience. And, and it's not even just something necessarily that the actors are going to see or even hear. I mean, certainly we might see audiences, you know, shift in their seats or we might hear them applaud or laugh or something like that. But, um, there's a story that, that, that I'll tell the short version of it. Um, I was in a play once called the one armed man by Horton foot, where I play a a cotton gin worker in the twenties who lost his arm due to, um, uh, due to the high demands, uh, and a racist system, you know, um, and the boss of this, uh, farm, would whenever this would happen would just write off a check, you know, and so my care, you know, uh, a severance check that was, you know, quote unquote generous, you know, and so uh, when I would when I come in, my characters uh, tells this man he wants his arm back, and 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 they get into this conversation, and as it goes on, we realize my character's been drinking. Oh, we realize he's brought a gun with him, and it kind of ends with me sort of kicking this guy to the ground and shooting him in the back, execution style. And this was done at Missouri State, and I was uh, a directing student was doing this for his directing project um, under the tutelage of Carol Maples. And our our little play that we were doing was in the middle of a whole evening of plays. And my entrance is five ten minutes after our play had begun. The Balcony Theater at Missouri State is packed. 
Um, and if you've ever been in the balcony theater, when it's packed, you've got audience members' feet on the edge of the stage. And the only way to get out is basically to walk on stage to get out of the room. That's important to know because when I walked out on stage, almost immediately, and I don't know how I, I don't know how I do this because I, I don't really look at the audience. You see them, but they're not in focus. You keep the, you keep the fourth wall. Um, in place. I'm not looking at the audience. I'm very focused on what I'm doing on stage. But somehow in my memory, I remember seeing way in the back of the audience, toward the back of the audience, there were like three small children in there. And, uh, huh. And I, a lot of things went through. I would say they were between the ages of four and eight years old. Huh. They were with, you know, their parents or whatever, you know, but. I knew what was about to happen and what they were going to see. And a lot of things went through my head. You know how like a million things can go through your head in a fraction of a second. All these things went through. Oh my gosh, who let those kids in here? Um, those kids are not old enough to know reality from make believe. Um, that's not curriculum until like the third grade. Um, at least two of them are under that age. So in, in essence, they're about to see a big, scary black man, you know, kick to the ground, someone who seems really nice, this nice white guy, and then shoot him in the back execution style. And the gun that we were using was a starter pistol that, that fired an actual blank. There was a sound. And, um, and this is going to be really scary for them. You know, I, I, I need to, I need to, call a halt to this and ask the children to be removed and for us to restart the show. I can't do that. That's not my call. I'm not the director. I'm not Carol Maples. I'm not the the house manager. Um, I, I need to make a decision quick. I'm going on with the show. And all of that happened in less than a second, right? But it angered me that I was that that I was in that position to begin with, that those kids were there to begin with. And I was so focused, I decided I had to just focus on what I had to do with this, that the anger that I was feeling kind of fueled that performance, I think. Um, it was really, really particularly electric that night. And as the play got went on and my character got more and more agitated, you could actually start to hear the children starting to kind of make sounds of distress, whimpering and things like that. And I, I know I didn't actually see this, but I swear when I remember it, I can picture people turning their heads and looking with concern back to that corner of the room. I could hear people shifting and I could feel mostly I could just feel the emotional energy was really, really, really strong. Um, we all felt it. And, um, and we went on with the play and it ended and, uh, I went back to the green room and I was just, I was very upset. Um, um, and my, my castmate, you know, um, who was also a fellow grad student with me, he came back and he was like, man, that was a great run. That was like the best run up. And I'm like, who, who let yeah. those kids in here? Where were those kids? He goes, Oh, those were some friends of mine. They're fine. And I, and I went, where are they? they? They had already left, you know, but, um, the point of the story is, and I tell this to my students because we talk a lot about the audience performer relationship, um, uh, which is really what it's always been about for me. Um, what uh, theater is and always has been the greatest form of empathy training. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's an essential part of humanity. Humans have been doing it as long as they've been able to communicate and stand up on their two legs and communicate. We've been making theater, um, telling stories from our myths and uh, about what it means to be human and how to survive, uh, or how to, how to, how, how we're living, not just surviving, but how we're living, what it means to be human, particularly in a cosmic context in some cases. And so, um, this, this great, to me, it's a holy thing, um, for a community of people to come together and share their minds and their hearts, uh, a story that is going to leave everybody changed when they leave in some way for better or worse. 
we're all going to walk out a little bit more sensitive human beings. And that's all I've ever wanted from theater. That's all I want my students really to learn. I hope they get excited and go out and watch a lot of theater. Uh, I want to go watch a lot of theater. Um, but for me, it's not about who's in the play or who wrote the play or whether the play was on Broadway. It's, it's always magic. That is, we're nine episodes in now that, and it's a high bar that you've just cleared. That's <laughs> got to be the best explanation. Oh, thank you. I have heard yeah. about anything so far, but I will say if there was any lingering doubts about what it means for an audience to be active and participants in a story. I think that is as clear an illustration of that as I've ever heard. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I want to come back to you had mentioned that you had a story you tell your intro students related to um, uh, a, a show that you had seen. Oh, yeah. And I usually, I often tell these stories in the same lecture. Um, the other story was we went to see Saved, right, in, in L.A., and, um, I'll give you the short version of this. There's a, there's a, um, there's a scene in the play where two men are talking on the, in the world of the play there, it's nighttime. They're in a fairly secluded park on the side of a lake. One of them's fishing and they're having a very serious conversation about something. It's a really quiet moment in this little theater. It was a warehouse that they turned into a little black box theater. So the audience is very close, kind of like it was in the balcony theater. But this particular night, uh, there's a reviewer from the LA Times there. So, um, this is how my wife and I got in because we didn't have enough money for the tickets and they let us in anyway. And, uh, um, we weren't dressed for it either. This is side note. Um, we weren't dressed for it. And, and I thought, ah, oh, this is going to be, this is a little, you know, black box theater. No, no. There was art on the walls. Everyone was in black. There was a musician playing in the lobby. They had kegs of Guinness and a cash bar. It was like, oh my gosh, we feel underdressed, but. <laughs> I didn't care because I wanted to see this play. Like so, t-shirt and jeans? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I think I had a, fl I think we both had flannel and jeans. We had been hiking. We were like sweaty and gross. It was just, you know, so, uh, I did not care. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so we're sitting in about the, I don't know, fourth or fifth row, still pretty close to the stage. And a couple rows in front of us, this woman is sitting with her friend. And at this moment, this really, really quiet moment, her phone goes off. And I mean, it goes off probably six times before she is able to fumble it out of her purse and turn it off. And by this point, you know, we're looking at her. Everyone's kind of looking at her, you know, and she turns it off. And um, this is it's hard to do this without doing it visually. But I was explaining to the audience. She, she, she looks back at the audience. She's her face is very stern. She's just like, OK, she's embarrassed, clearly. When she looks back at the at the action on stage, one of the actors who had been taught, if you picture two actors in profile to the audience talking to one another, one of them is now looking directly at her. And this is not a play where actors break the fourth wall, right? This is very realistic play, uh, naturalistic even. And he's looking right at her for a long time. And she shifts in her seat a little bit. And then the other guy who's still looking at him says, what's the matter? And the guy goes, I don't know. I just thought I heard something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's what everybody in the audience did, you know. And, uh, uh, and, and so again, like, you know, if you watch something on, on a screen, you know, um, you're, it's not the same. That is genius. That will never, that has never happened before. 
and it'll never happen again. That's real skill too, right? Yeah. You needed that tension to break so yeah. that you could come back to. And they went right back into where they were and the show went on. It he was didn't a moment. jeopardize the integrity of the scene. Not at all. Uh, it was a moment. We all shared it and we moved on. Round of applause for that. Yeah. Oh, it was just like, I, I felt so Amazing. lucky to have been there for that. I'm glad I didn't go home because I was underdressed. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here's the big one. Okay. Gumby versus Mr. Ed. Battle to the death. Oh, man. Who wins? You know, I really wanted to prepare for this question. Uh, I think it's better if, <laughs> if you're on the spot. You I think you're right. I, I think you're right. I'm glad I didn't. Let me rephrase that. I'm, I'm glad, glad I did that not prepare for It's uh, being addressed with the, you know, reverence that it deserves. Yeah. That, right. or, you know, you hear people saying things like that. I, I, I wish I, I had wanna, prepared for the, yeah. I want to prepare. I want to give this to honor it. All right. Here's what I'm thinking, though. Um, cause I never watched Mr. Ed and I never really watched Gumby, but I've seen little bits and pieces. Of course, I watched Eddie Murphy's Gumby. Uh, but, um, if I'm not mistaken, Gumby was this claymation. Couldn't he kind of shapeshift? Essentially, yeah. There has been some questions in past podcasts as to the extent of it. Like, for instance, clearly he can string himself out as far as he needs to. Can he increase his size? Like, I don't know how negotiable he is from start to finish. There also seemed to be he had the ability to, like, shift through matter, like, pass through things. Is that true? I'm pretty sure there's a couple of Oh, uh, yeah. I think that sounds right to me. It's hard to beat a phasing Gumby. I mean, <laughs> I just feel like he could uh, he could do a lot of damage to a horse um, by ship, uh, shape shifting and getting into some, you know, crevice or another or, you know, or you know, into his mouth or phasing into his body and then expanding or something like that. Like he has superpowers. Um, and, uh, and I don't know that he's invincible, but I feel like he is because he's made of the same stuff as Mr. Bill and Mr. Bill took some Mr. really Bill nasty, <laughs> some really nasty hits. So I'm thinking like, what could Mr. Ed do to Gumby? He could maybe, maybe if he could see him well enough and, and if he was fast enough, he could maybe stomp on him, but Gumby would just pop yeah. back into shape. But what could Gumby, a shape-shifting, phasing, claymation cartoon do to a horse? I could imagine a lot of things. And so I have to go with Gumby. My, my, I think the best argument you can make for Mr. Ed here is battlefield removal. Like maybe he can't kill Gumby, but maybe if he gets a, a good, like if he gets a good hoof on him, mm -hmm. maybe he can kick him into another zip code. Yeah, yeah true, true. I don't, I that don't would know. take a lot of skill. Yeah. And that's, I mean, if Gumby sees it coming, he just goes straight up Elastigirl and now you're just kicking putty, <laughs> right? So Gumby's a tricky one. Gumby's yeah, a tricky yeah, one. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Definitely Gumby though. Yeah. I didn't know what my answer was going to be until, until now. Honestly, I haven't really given it as much thought as I very, thought it was going to. I found that was a very naturalistic approach. Very naturalistic yeah. answer. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That's great. So, uh, we brought you on today. You've, you've kind of, kind of approached this subject a little yes, bit yeah. already. Um, but we, we, we really brought you on to ask a question that, um, I think people will have very different responses to based on their experience, but I think is really important to ask, um, especially, you know, here working at a college, um, what role does theater play in general education? Um, I, uh, first of all, I, 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 I seriously believe that theater education should be a requirement from preschool through, you know, a bachelor's degree, at least, you know, uh, I, I think the many, many benefits of, 
uh, of literacy and of, um, of just developing social skills, many, many soft skills, uh, of learning about history, of learning about uh, self-awareness, awareness of others, awareness of the world that we live in and our place in it. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, just that empathy training, you know, um, it's been a while since I looked at any research on this, but the last I did, I think empathy was going down as narcissism goes up. And, uh, and there's a reason, I think, why Aristotle said in 300 something BC that the whole reason for going to the theater is catharsis, you know, this purgation of our pity and fear, which I kind of interpret as our purgation of, of pity is empathy is feeling something for somebody feeling pity for the, for the tragic hero feel, you know, going through that, that it would be traumatic if we saw what happened to Oedipus, for instance, happened to our own family member or something like that. That would be horrible. Um, but it's, we feel something of those feelings watching it. And, um, and it's, we can, we can, we can have that purgation of, we can have that awakening of our empathy without the, the consequences of having to go through it ourselves, right? We can live it vicariously. And, uh, and the fear part just reminding us that, Hey, you know, we are so, so great and significant and yet so, so small and insignificant. And Zeus's lightning bolt can hit me just as well as it hit somebody else. Or, um, you know, I can fall just as well as any other tragic hero. You know, this is, uh, and so the question becomes, uh, not how do I avoid this, but how do I face it when the time comes, you know? And I think that the thing that theater is always doing that, even, in, even and, and film and, and television as well, um, all of the dramatic arts, um, all of the performing arts do um, awaken us to our humanity. Um, and that's so, so important, especially as we are, you know, stumbling through the 21st century the way that we are it's so important that we remember our humanity and practice that you know um either either on stage or from the audience or both uh both are really really significant and important so um so i think it's really really important just to because a part of of our education you know i mean we learn various subjects we learn about various academic subjects, but there's so many other things. One might even argue that some of the most important things we learn in college have to do with just how to be a good person and how to be a good citizen in the world. And theater has always taught that theater has always encouraged that in a way that is palatable, that we can, you know, it's, it's, we're having fun and being entertained um, or, or, or maybe disturbed, but it'll only last a little while. We can go home and go, that was just a dream, right? Or that was just the play. And, um, and so it's, it's very, very important. Uh, I think if we didn't, if we stopped doing this, and I don't think that's ever going to happen, but if we stopped doing this, uh, it would be disastrous. I think it also, uh, if I may offer a complimentary response mm -hmm. and then have you refine it, please. Sure. I want to, I would say this, I'm dead serious when I say this. Maybe the second most fun I've had in a theater was at the Galois watching an OTC production of the Clue musical. Oh, yeah. The Clue musical. Yeah. Maybe the second best time I've had in a theater. Not, you know, some of the bigger shows I've seen, but that one. And it's because I was struggling myself. I was struggling myself with my education. I was trying to struggle, figure out what I want to do with my life. This mm -hmm. was like a, how long ago was this? Seven, eight years ago? Something uh, like that? It was uh, 2013. Okay. I think 
So 12, maybe. I myself was kind of figuring out what path I wanted to do. And I just saw a bunch of students put on a darn good show. And the best part of the show, I remember very little from the show, actually. But I remember vividly after the performance, they all came out for the bows. And then instead of walking off stage, which you would kind of normally expect, they all just kind of hung out on the stage for a moment. And you could see what they had just realized what they had accomplished. Uh And a couple of them were shouting out into the audience, Uh uh, you know, joyfully. They were shouting out Mm -hmm. into the audience. I cannot act. I cannot sing. Like, you guys think I can act or sing because you're honest, <laughs> but I can't do it. And they were bragging on whoever was playing piano for you in that show. They were bragging on uh, her. Oh, uh, yeah. That was uh, Jen McAtee. They were mm-hmm. bragging on her and how great she was in mm-hmm, helping them mm-hmm. up. Yeah. And she was like, she's great. She's performed magic. You think I can do this. I can't do this. But I did it. And they're shouting out at the at – the, and I was like, God, I don't know where I'm going. But if I throw myself into it. I'll probably be okay. Like these guys had no clue what they were doing. And with some expert coaching, which you need and some go getativeness that Mm -hmm. they exhibited. uh, I don't know if they could have gotten that from anything else. This campus has to offer. What do you think? Yeah. You know, um, I see that. I see that all the time. I have, um, Right now, this semester, I have a, I, my, my intro to theater classes are very, very interactive because uh, I have a classroom where, where we can kind of turn some lights on. We have a little bit of a stage. And I have a student who told me at the beginning of the semester that he was really nervous about taking it because he just was really, really had a lot of stage fright. He wanted to get up in front of people. And I said, well, in an intro class, it's not the acting class. You know, I will be inviting you all to go out of your comfort zones a little bit, but I'm not going to, you know, it's not, you can, <laughs> there's lots of things that we'll be doing in the class. And you know, I'm not going to traumatize you. So, uh, he reluctantly took the class and, uh, on, on, uh, on Wednesday he performed, uh, he had memorized and he performed the entire, Oh, that this two, two solid flesh would melt monologue from the beginning of Hamlet, Hamlet's first soliloquy. It's a long monologue. And he performed it on stage under lights for his peers memorized and did a really good job, you know? And so I, I think that, um, I think there are, I, this happens all the time where I have students who are kind of reticent about seeing themselves participating in this art form and discovering I, it's the reason I teach. I just, I love to see people discover that they can do it, that, uh, that something inspired them. Maybe it's me, maybe it's their classmates. Um, but they're inspired the way I was inspired by my first acting class. And, uh, I just want to see that and be a part of that over and over and over again. Maybe inspiration was the word I was looking for. Yeah. Because it's it does, my super objective to inspire your, students. your initial answer was that it instructs us how to better exercise empathy. And I think that is correct and beautifully argued by yourself. I agree that inspire is a better word. Than but instruct. In, there's, in, there's, in, there's a degree of inspiration there. Oh yeah. Yeah. And kind of. You know, you're talking to a guy who's talking to a microphone right now, so I come at this with my bias, but performing for someone adequately, doing a really good job, feeling like you have – we don't practice for this. I mean, to put, to put on a show, you have to put in a ton of effort. Yeah. And the execution, feeling like you nailed it, like that's something theater offers you. That, you know, sports gives you a little bit of that, but I think that's unique to, to, to acting in theater. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's mythic. You know, uh, in a Joseph Campbell kind of way, you know, like it's, it's, we have to do this. We, it's something that grew naturally at just like we, we have to, just like anything else, you know, we have to eat, we have to, you know, find someone to love, you know, we, we have to 
uh, find our, our career in life, you know, um, individually, like we do that, but communities, you know, we have to develop some kind of a culture. We have to develop some kind of a, a system. We have to do theater. It's just, it's, it's just, it's not even something that it, it just happens because it's, it's, it's a human thing to do. Yeah. It's a, it's one of the most human things we do. But that I, I can tell clearly it inspired those students and left an impression on me as well. And part of it was because of the content of the play, but mostly it was just because of what they accomplished. That was a good yeah. show. I have to say that it was, was a good was, show. I was really, really proud of that. If one. you could yeah. write, if you could write in the dirt, like, okay, we're making a musical out of clue. What boxes <laughs> do you want to check? That checks all the boxes. And then it was a really good show. Many thanks to Jason Gomez too, who was, um, he was working in the, um, the, the, with marketing. Um, and, uh, he also has a DJ service. And so he, he's the one who, he did the set design for that. I don't know if a lot of people remember that, but, uh, um, he was, uh, he's been great to work with. He's, he's done a couple things with us. So, um, we kind of joked earlier about, you know, connection between physics and theater. There are a couple I'm going to argue right now. And you may be familiar with this more than me. I cannot remember the name. They performed it at Drury. Boy, this was like 2008. But there's a stage production that looks at um, relationship between Heisenberg and um, Schrodinger. Heisenberg and Schrodinger who uh, worked to split the atom, essentially. They developed quantum mechanics. And they do this. Uh, Copenhagen. Yeah, it's oh, called. yeah, yeah, and yeah. And the, one of the coolest parts of it is in the stage production and the blocking, they actually like start to position themselves as if they are the Bohr model of the atom. Uh-huh. And so it's all part of the storytelling and is, is the, you know, there's, there's, there's actual physics in there and they, you know, they kind of do it, embody it as well. And it's just an amazing trope. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, that would be the one that I would suggest to see. They did that at Springfield Contemporary Theater uh, a little while back. Yeah. I thought I remembered it being around. Uh, more recently as well. Yeah, 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 that's true. You know, um, there's a whole, there's a, there's a company called LA Theater Works that does audio recordings, like live staged readings or not even staged readings. They're just readings, but they have a fully artist kind of like doing a radio play, but they're just regular plays. And they've got a whole series, a whole science series where just different plays that look at just different science themes. And, um, we have probably all of the LA Theater Works in the library on Overdrive, I believe. Um, you can find some also on SoundCloud and other places, Hoopla and the library, um, this, the Green County Library District. But, um, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a bunch. I don't know if Copenhagen's one of them, but, uh, there's some other things in there. And second, and this is a conversation I want to have with you, um, later. Um, there's this really cool, um, uh, group in Seattle, um, the at the college one of the colleges there that work in physics education research started doing this summer program for educators mm-hmm. um using this idea of embodied cognition um which is the idea is, is you know as we're learning and as we're making sense of things we we embody it and and you can kind of see you know through the actions of the self how we're making sense of the world uh-huh. and so they they developed something called energy theater and so it's teaching pedagogy, teaching teachers how to teach complex energy issues through theater. Oh, wow. Through actually acting out the, yeah. the, 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 the motions and the, uh, transformation of, of energy in different systems. Oh, that sounds really cool. And I'm, don't- we're, we're, we're working with physics. Um, 105 is this, um, introductory course that's required now for education majors. And I'd like to bring that in for a component of, 
Yeah. Uh, so I want to I want to get with you at some point. Yeah. And, yeah. I would love to talk to you about think that. about how that might work. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Kind of and show you what what's kind of already been done. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's let's do have that conversation because uh, right you know I, I do there's a yeah we'll, we'll talk. <laughs> so between yeah. helping him and getting me a bill suit, I'll get you a bill you suit. You got a busy. We, we've given you some assignments on this. <laughs> you, you realize this is happening. <laughs> I welcome it. I, 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 my mind is made up. <laughs> I originally when I saw that I was uh, I I did chew on it. I was like I should totally go in an audition for that. Even if I get disqualified <laughs> on the basis of my status, I should. Go in, freaking nail it. But then, you know what's going to happen? Some student's going to get the role and they're going to be insecure because no matter how good they do, they're like, but did you see the guy? Did you see the teacher do it? <laughs> he was so rocked it. passionate. <laughs> it, uh, that's a great question. Is it, can instructors at OTC um, uh, try out for plays? Yeah, I don't see why not. You know, um, I, we, we've never expressly said one way or the other, but yeah, of course. Has it I ever mean, happened? Uh, well, the closest we came to this was, uh, when we were doing It's a Wonderful Life, Rob Rector comes up to me one time and he goes, uh, he, he I, not an instructor, but an administrator, uh, comes up to me and he says, uh, how much he loves It's a Wonderful Life. He's a huge fan. The biggest fan I think I've ever known of it. And, um, and then he starts doing his Jimmy Stewart impersonation and he is just great. I mean, he did, he's got a really good Jimmy Stewart impersonation. And I was, and, and I, I seriously, I, I don't think, I don't know if he really took me seriously, but I was like, Rob, would you please like, will uh, just one night, you know, guest performance by Rob Rector will bring you in. Uh, it's, it's all red, you know, so we'll bring you in for just a rehearsal or two maybe. And then we'll just, we'll, we'll make like Thursday night or something, you know, like, and, uh, I think he was open to it. If we end up doing that show again at some point, I'm going to push a little harder for that. If you end up doing a show with a Lincoln in it, may I recommend, because Politically Active has hired Dave Ball to be a Lincoln for us in the past. Oh, yeah. And really? Oh, yeah, cool. I don't know how good his impression skills were, but I do know that I mean, we, we <laughs> I'm saying this on a podcast. I can't believe it. But we brought him in because we were showing a performance on Lincoln's birthday of Lincoln versus vampires. <laughs> and it wasn't like the movie theater version. It was like a B movie version. <laughs> and it was awesome. He had to kill all the vampires by like slashing them in half. Cause Lincoln would say a vampire sliced apart from himself cannot stand. There's all this great lines in it. Anyways, halfway through the movie, we turn it off. We take an intermission and we get our own Lincoln, which we have hired Dave ball to come on with the, you know, the, <laughs> Stove pipe. Stove yeah, yeah. And we asked him a bunch of questions like, what's it like fighting zombies? Uh, you know, uh, uh, zombies. Sorry, not vampires. In this movie, he was fighting zombies. Did he have a sword? No, he had used, he had a, uh, <laughs> like a scythe, whatever you would use in the 1800s to like call wheat. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we kept asking him, like, when all the zombies were coming at you, how did you find the strength? And every question was rattled off. And he'd be like, listen, it's a Zen thing. So he keeps saying over and over again, shout out to Dave Ball. That, I, I would never forget that as long as I live. <laughs> is this why you have that poster board in your office with tallies on I Lincoln's a, dead and zombies dead? That was part dead? of the thing is we had to set up a thing. We had to measure how many Lincolns died and how many zombies died. We lost track of the zombies. There were multiple Lincolns? Mary Todd. Oh, and there. So, at, spoiler alert. Here's how the movie. Here's how the movie ends. He gets bit. He gets bit by a zombie, and at the time he gets bit, like a, a couple hours later, he's tending to the wounds of somebody else, and he tells them Secret Service has found John Wilkes Booth, who's going to try and come and kill me. But I told him to stand down. 
so that they can they, so John, so to prevent him from becoming a zombie. This movie was genius, genius. Tarantino esque in rewriting history. Huh? <laughs> That's fantastic, boy. There's full circle for you from yeah. a, a highly intellectual conversation about theater to zombies versus Lincoln. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that you uh, let some of this steam out. <laughs> I'm like a pressure cooker up in here. Yeah. Well, we steam out. really, really appreciate it. Just, just <laughs> fantastic, um, fantastic conversation. Uh, oh, I've uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, so much uh, about uh, a perspective on theater that I appreciate and um, uh, uh, learning about Bobby McFerrin and, and uh, all the other artists that you discussed. Uh, I, uh, Andrew, did you know that? I did not know that. I did not know that either. Well, now you do. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Thanks, sir.